Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Good morning, everybody. Um, Renee and I are so happy to be here. Uh, you know what? We just wanted to start out. We got to share just a little bit last time we were here, but very briefly. Uh, but I did just want to share about us and our journey and how we got to here. We are church planters to Edgerton. And let me tell you, that, that's a journey. <laughs> um, one of the, the, the ways I like to describe it is really becoming a church planter was a process of deciding what I wanted to be when I grew up. Okay, Because I made a lot of decisions um, and oftentimes they were my own decisions. It wasn't until I followed God's calling into church planting that I really discovered who God made me to be. Um, and so it's a fun story, and it's a story of me not always going the right direction, uh, Renee being very patient with me, as she always is, um, and ultimately discovering what God had for us. And, and really, Renee and I are high school sweethearts. Um, we, uh, that's right. Uh, we have five boys. Um, we actually began in Lake Mill, so we kind of got a lineage going on here. Craig pre- preached last week. Uh, I, we came out of Craig's church, actually. Um, we grew up in Lake Mills. Uh, but actually, I didn't attend any church in Lake Mills growing up. I was saved as a teenager. Um, but we had to go and leave our community and go to a community 20 minutes away to go to a church um, that, where we could worship the Lord and, and hear God's word preached and proclaimed. And, and really, I loved my church. It was great. It was actually my grandfather's church was the pastor up until he died. Um, so we just really enjoyed that. And, and, but I really didn't realize what I was missing out on with a, not having a local church. Really what it caused in my life was a division of my life. You know, I had friends and youth group at church, and then I had friends at home, and there was this huge division. Uh, because none of my friends, they were used to catechism. They graduated from God after they got their first communion, right? Um, so why would you go to anything else? You're good. You're stamped, right? Um, so they just couldn't identify with this idea of what I was journeying through. So it caused a division in me, really. I had this life with God, but that life with God didn't come home with me. There was a division, and so, you know, the story goes that Renee and I were dating in high school. She went to co- college a year before me. Uh, we, she was in Oshkosh. I was in Green Bay. Uh, we went through college. We got married our last year in college and, and came back to Lake Mills. Well, one of the things that was unique was during that time, a church was planted. There was, the reason we weren't in a church there, there wasn't a you know, non-denominational Bible-teaching church in town, and that's what we would go to. Um, but real hope was planted at that time. Renee and I decided that that's where we wanted to raise our family because we wanted that local church experience. And really, that's where we came to life. I mean, I have such a heart for the local church. And just what that's supposed to mean, that's where we were baptized. Uh, That's where we have been raising our children. Uh, That's where we've been serving alongside one another and growing in such amazing ways, not because of anything we did, but what God did in us through his local church. And so Renee's just going to share just a little bit about some of that and, and some experiences that she had uh, as far as serving and growing in the local church. And I'll, I'll pass it over to Renee. You guys are going to enjoy this much more than me speaking anyway. So you go ahead, Renee. Well, good morning. It's nice to be here. We're excited that you guys invited us out. And Luke asked me to share a little bit of what it's been like for me coming alongside of him. Because there was a day where he said, you know, we were always involved in the church, but he said, feeling like I'm being called into full-time ministry, and I need your help. And I said, okay, as long as I never have to speak in a microphone <laughs> or plant a church, because <laughs> those were both two way extroverted things that I could never see myself doing. Well, when we started and kind of went on that path a little bit, Luke started in um, the Sunday school ministry and youth ministry. So he said, I need you to teach Sunday school. 
So I said, okay, I'll, I'll try that. It was nervous. I had a high regard for God's word, and I wanted to get it right. And I started in the preschool class, so I had three, four, and five-year-olds. And Pastor Craig's young, his daughter, his youngest daughter, Bella, was in my class. And it all went fine. One of the first weeks that I'm teaching, you know, there were no real big hiccups in the classroom. But as I was driving home after church, I heard my phone ringing. And I couldn't get it out of my purse in time to answer. I missed it, but I saw it was the second missed call from Pastor Craig. So I thought, I wonder why he's calling. It was very unusual. Like We kind of knew after church was his family time, so you waited until Monday or Tuesday if you really needed to talk to him about anything. So to get that call was unusual. So I reasoned that the only thing he could have been calling me about was that I taught Bella something wrong, and he was going to tell me I could never teach Sunday school again. (laughs) So I pulled into the driveway, and the phone rang again, and it was Craig, but I I was not going to answer it at this point. I knew what he wanted to say, and he was going to wait till Monday on this one. So (laughs) I just let it go. I I put the phone in my purse, got the kids in, and I'm making lunch, and his van drives up to our house. So I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get all these boys quiet. I'm like, can I turn off the lights? Can we run out the back door so that we're not here? But that just, it wasn't going to happen. So I I muster up my strength for this conversation. And I open the door, and Luke comes in. And he goes, Renee, you have my keys and my phone I couldn't get a hold of you. Why weren't you answering your phone? (laughs) My anxiety was so high that I actually said, well, if I would have seen it ring, I would have answered it. (laughs) He graciously, Craig, drove him to our house to get his stuff. But that was, stepping into ministry was a nervous thing for me. I was very intimidated by the process. And somehow, we've gotten to being excited about sharing our story, being excited about church planting, And that's not been anything that we've done. It's been God that has grown that in me. And Luke has a lot of stories just like that of things that God has helped him. And it's really been about taking those steps with him, with God, and trusting. Like, I couldn't see myself doing those things, but God knew what I needed and what I would enjoy. So if there's any encouragement that I could give you, it would be if he's putting something on your heart, even if it's not something you can imagine yourself doing. Or for me, church planting, the big thing about that is I didn't want other people to think of me as a church planter. So if it's something that it's maybe weird to think about how are other people going to perceive you if you do that, I would just encourage you, trust that God knows what you need and what you will enjoy. Because it definitely has been a fun road. It has been lots of great stories, but mostly God has really met us each and been a joy. You can just put it on. Isn't she awesome? Yes.
trust me, she, <laughs> she just, I, re I remember really the first time she ever spoke into a microphone was only like three years ago or something like that. So, and now I make her tell stories like that all the time that are embarrassing and stuff like that. <laughs> By the way, on my end, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there, why do I even give her a cell phone? She doesn't answer it. Like, you know, I was getting frustrated and I have no idea what she's going through. And, you know, I, of course, wasn't sensitive about it. Go figure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we've come a long way and God's worked in us. And it's really been in, in serving through the local church. You know, one of the things throughout that period of time when we went back to, when we went back to Lake Mills and started, you know, fellowshipping, uh, serving, all these things in real hope, one of the things that really was kind of, the two things that I was struggling with a lot was, you know, I knew I was saved. I understand the, the, the grace of Jesus and, and put my faith into him uh, and really understood what that meant and that he had paid the price for me and there wasn't anything more I needed to do accomplish in order to receive his salvation. So I had understood that. But now what, right? I mean, so why? Why did Jesus save me? You know, that was something I was always struggling with. What was the purpose? Not, now what? Now what do I do? Uh, more specifically, what has God called me to do? Because one of the things that I was doing was I was pursuing my own path. I was pursuing not ministry. I, I was going into the secular world. I, I kind of always knew God had called me into the ministry, but I was kind of running away from that calling. Uh, I went in, and I, basically the way that I put it is I wanted to go into finance, and I would become independently wealthy, and then I would, once I had enough money that I didn't have to worry about money, then I'd go serve God with all that extra time and money I had. Sounds like a pretty good plan, right? Okay. Unfortunately, that's my plan, not God's plan. Okay. So as I was uh, you know, pursuing those things, I was struggling with those two things. So why in the world did God save me, and what am I really supposed to be doing for him? And the answer I, I very specifically got from God was the reason I was saved was not because of me. It wasn't for my purposes. Uh, you know, I, I do know that God loves us, and I do know that he really cares about us. He, in fact, he knows the number of hairs on our head. Um, which for some of us is you know, easier than others, but that's okay. Um, the hairs on our head, they know intimately what's about us. Love you, buddy. Um, <laughs> but ultimately, you know what Christ did? He came to save us so that we could be his body, so that more could come to know him. More could come to be saved. More could come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. And so there was a purpose. There was a mission that he sent us on once we've been saved. So for those of us who know this, know this Christ, have him in our hearts, there's work to be done. It's not just about sitting there and dwelling in his presence. Now that's something we get to do. That's something we, we get to do. And he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. But he also asks us to do things. He asks us to go out and find those who do not know about him. And tell them about the love of Christ. To witness to what God has done in our lives. And that led me down the path of pursuing ministry. Uh, you know, what was I going to do? In fact, the one thing, I had two choices. Craig, I, I, I went back and forth for about five years about what I was going to do. Was I going to go into, I was in youth ministry at the time. Um, was I going to go into youth ministry? Was I going to go into, uh, you know, church planting or whatever? I just didn't know. I didn't want to make the wrong choice again because I had made some wrong choices. Funny thing was, I was going to interview for Shannon's old job. It was one of the jobs that I was going to interview for as we were making this decision. But ultimately, what ended up happening was we ended up uh, getting to know uh, a couple other uh, uh, pastors from down in Bethel, uh, down in Janesville, uh, they had told us about Edgerton. And, and we, they discussed their plans about how they had been for years and years and years wanting to put a church in Edgerton. Because they have so many people that leave Edgerton to drive about 20 minutes to go to Janesville. Uh, because there just wasn't a church there for, that was you know, proclaiming the gospel in that community. So people were leaving to go to another church. You know, that gripped my heart because that sounded very familiar. You know, here was a community about the same size as the community that I grew up in. 
It had the same circumstances where really there were many people, those who believed had to leave the community to worship. There wasn't that sense of a local church. And there were many people who didn't know Jesus. And so the familiarity of that and the remembrance of what happened in our lives at Real Hope, how we came into a new church plant, the impact that made on not only the community but our lives, we wanted that for other people. And so God drew me towards church planting. I didn't really know for sure if that was something I was going to be good at. Uh, that, I didn't know for sure if that was something uh, that I was going down the wrong path. All I knew is I knew this town needed another church. And I was willing to do whatever it took. If that, if that meant come alongside somebody, if that meant do whatever needed to happen, I wanted to see this church be formed because I had experienced Christ in a local church in a unique way, worshiping together with our local community. And we wanted that. Now, now the story goes that we did go through a process to find out that, yes, actually, with, uh, through Converge, we were able to go through the church planters assessment and find out that, actually, our giftings align perfectly with what church planting is. But really, for me, the calling and the heart for the community came before really understanding the giftings. And all those actions and all those things that we had gone through, through serving through the local church, really brought us to that point. And really the ultimate reason why, to me, church planting has really grown in my heart, it goes back to that reason, why was I saved? Ultimately, that reason I was saved is that so others would come to know Jesus and be saved. See, church planting, if you look at the statistics, in America today, church planting is the number one most effective form of evangelism that they have here in the United States. See, traditional forms of evangelism, door-to-door evangelism, things like that are just a little more difficult in our culture. Uh, I don't know if we have any Facebook evangelists here, but, you know, sometimes that's not as effective, right? You know, getting into arguments over Facebook about spiritual things doesn't always bear fruit, right? Okay, door-to-door, things like that, just always don't necessarily bear fruit. But one of the ways, the most effective ways to actually win souls for Christ is through new churches and new communities. There's just something about a church, uh, a new church where there's a new life, there's a new breath, there's, you know, oftentimes it meets in not a building with stained glass or steeples. And a different type of people are willing to walk into those churches. And so where we see the most evangelism happening is in new churches, And so when we aligned ourselves with church planting, it was really about aligning ourselves with evangelism. Because that's really what church planting is about. It's not necessarily trying to put a church that we like better in a location so that we can relocate other Christians. It's ultimately about winning new ground for the kingdom and ultimately more people coming to Christ. Now, as we've been kind of going around and talking about our mission and, and, and where we're at with Emmaus is we're in the pre-launch season. We'll be actually launching in October here coming up. So this is kind of like the end of our kind of traveling series where we get to see all these people at these different churches. Uh, and we're kind of sad because it's been great to get to know everybody. But what we've been preaching through is, is this Acts 16. So we're going to be in Acts 16 today to just kind of talk through how God's put this on our heart and how... Um, you know, some things through this scripture uh, that uniquely tell us about church planting, but then also what we're called to do in that. Uh, So we're going to be in Acts 16 today, but we're just really excited to share this with you. It's kind of the last time we get to share it um, for a while, because in October we're going to be launched, we're going to be having Sunday mornings. You know, there's a couple different ways, just real quick, if if you want to come and help us out in some ways, uh, there's two things majorly right now that you could do. At the end of this month, the 25th and 26th, we're having kind of like a mission day, a mission trip. Uh, You can check us out on Facebook to get details on that or request information. Uh, There's some service projects we're doing in the community, but also uh, like tonight we have a worship service and two weeks from now we have a worship service. If you just want to come and worship with us, be a person that will worship alongside us, be a smiling face that can help people make 
feel comfortable as they're coming to visit us, those are two great ways that you can come help us out. So let's go ahead and dive into God's word, but let's start out with prayer. Father God, Lord, it's sometimes overwhelming to stand up here and, and want to pour out so many different things to people. Um, what you've put on our heart for not only church planting, uh, but what's going on at Emmaus, what, what we see happening in the church, what we see you moving in our community. And I ask that you would help me focus in on those points that, that you want people to hear here at Damascus Road. Uh, prepare our hearts to receive this and be changed. Ultimately, Lord, it's not as much about the message, but it's the condition of the heart, it's the condition of the soil that really matters. Prepare our hearts so that the seed can be planted and, and, and we could see a heart, we could see just a plentiful harvest from that seed. Lord, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to come before you as a church and dive into your word and plant it into our hearts. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me give you just a quick background here. Uh, in Acts 16, obviously Acts is really the number one church planting book that's out there. It's all about church planting. The, the, the church began with just essentially about somewhere between 12 to 120 people. And what they did immediately as they were going out and spreading the gospel, they were planting churches. They would go to community, proclaim the gospel. They would begin to bring those people together to worship together, to teach together, appoint elders, and they made churches. So Acts is all about how the church began and how church planting began. So now we're in the section of, of Acts where we're talking a lot about Paul's missionary journeys. And, and so what we have to give you context here, Paul had already gone on his first missionary journey into Asia, which is actually more like Turkey now. We think of Asia way out east. This is actually more like Turkey, okay? So a little bit north and west of where Jerusalem is. Uh, and his first missionary journey, they had great fruit. Uh, in fact, many of the Gentiles were receiving Christ. It became, it became such a problem in the church that they had to have a council about it. What do we do about all these uh, Gentiles that are joining the church? And basically what they decided at that point was there was nothing extra special they needed to do besides receiving Christ in order to become a part of God's family. And so this is following immediately after that. And so what Paul does immediately upon going on his second missionary journey, he goes back to some of those churches that he was at before, proclaiming that the great news that there is nothing additional. We don't need to worry about extra steps that you Gentiles have to do to become a part of our family. Uh, but then what he does is he sets out to gain more ground. Uh, there was a great work that was done uh, in mostly eastern Turkey, but he, he goes on and he continues this journey, and, and he's trying to go a little bit more west into what they call Asia at the time. So we're going to pick up actually in verse 6. So we're in Acts 16, 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the words in Asia, and when he, uh, I'm sorry, and when they came to Myasia, they attempted to go to Bithynia. Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Myasia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia was standing there, urging the people, or urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen this vision, immediately he sought to go to Ma into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. 
So just a couple observations here, what's going on. So Paul's desire is to head a little more west into uh, um, this area of Asia or Turkey. And, and he's going to these places. And this was an area where he had seen great fruit. Uh, they had seen the gospel spread very well in that first ministry. Now, there were some challenges. He got chased out of a lot of towns and <laughs> got hurt and beat up a few times. But ultimately, the gospel was spreading. There were churches that were being planted. But the beginning of this missionary journey, what ends up happening is he's hitting a brick wall. Something's going on here where in the same place as just you know, a little further west, he was hitting stone walls. He was not able, the, the, the gospel wasn't penetrating. It doesn't really give us a lot of information about why this is happening. Simply it just says is it wasn't the, God's will in order for that to happen there. And could you imagine how frustrating that is? I mean, you're going back and, you, and your whole mission is to try to start more churches and, and it's just not happening. It's ultimately not happening. Now, we know that it's because God, it was not God's will, but that doesn't make it any less frustrating to us. You know, sometimes we want to go and we want to do things for God, and, and, and they're not fruitful. And they're good things, and they're, they're things that maybe we think are wonderful, but ultimately they're not what God's will is, and it's not fruitful. And, and ultimately, pursuing our own plans in those things will cause frustration. Now, ultimately, Paul does get, through his prayer, he does receive this vision. And I think this vision is very interesting. It's a man of Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. Now, now, what does that mean? Come over here and help us. I mean, helping us could mean a million different things. Would you agree? You know, hey, build us a school, build us an orphanage, uh, help us resolve our conflicts. Help us. You know, ultimately, though, what they concluded was the help that was needed there was that they were to preach the gospel to them. Ultimately, when it comes down to going and, and being helpful to others, there's, nothing that, there's not a need that somebody has that's more important than them to hear the gospel of Jesus. So ultimately, when we go out, that should be our preeminent thing that we should be concerned about, is their spiritual condition, their spiritual uh, identity with God, and the idea that God has asked them. They, God has signed the paperwork for adoption. And all he's asking them is to receive them. To be received as, as, as a heavenly father, as an adopted child of God. That's the number one thing that we can do for people. So, we're going to pick up in verse 11 now. Let, let's see what they do, ultimately. So, Setting sail from Troas, they made directly voyage for Simothrace, and the following day, Neapolis, and from there, Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we remained in the city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where there was supposed to be a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke with the women who came together. One who heard us was named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her whole household as well, she urged, saying, If, if you judge me as faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So what we have here is this is the story of the church, the, the planting of Philippi. You know, there's a book called Philippians. In fact, I would encourage you if, you ever, if you're ever feeling down or if you're ever struggling with Bible study, here's what I would encourage you to do. Pray and read through Philippians continuously. You know, between now and next week, how many times can you pray and read through Philippians. It's a very encouraging Bible um, book. It's, it's all about encouragement. Paul was very uh, affectionate towards this church. 
Uh, this was a church that ultimately would go on to be a very good church. It was a very a church that would support Paul financially. In fact, the book of Philippians was a was a, a book that it's one of the only books that you find uh, letters from Paul that has no correction in it. It's all encouragement. It's all about how they're doing well, and he's encouraging them to go along. And that's how this is. This story is how that church got started. And so I, I just, that's one of my favorite books of the Bible. That's what kind of gravitated us towards this. And what we find is Paul's doing his normal custom thing. See, what Paul used to do when he would go, he would go to the synagogues, and he would reason with the Jews in the synagogues. Well, the one problem with Philippi is Philippi doesn't have a synagogue. This was an extremely Gentile city. In fact, it only took about uh, 10 Jewish men for there to be a synagogue. There wasn't even that many in order to have a synagogue in this city. And it was one of the largest in the regions. So you're talking about an extremely Gentile location. So they had to go outside of the city. See, if there wasn't a, uh, a synagogue there, what they would go is they would go to a place of prayer. So they figured that would be the best place. Let's go outside the city where this place of prayer was. And they find these women. So I'm sure Paul was a little frustrated at this point, too, because I'm sure he got there. They were there for a few days. It's not like Paul to not go out and evangelize. So once again, he's probably a little bit frustrated. So he goes out and he speaks with these women at the place of prayer, and they begin to speak. And once again, I don't think Paul's message was very different. I think he probably speaks roughly the same things each time that he does it. But ultimately, what's the difference here? It says, A woman named Lydia from Thyatira, a seller of purple goods and a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul said. So once again, this work that was being done was not of Paul. It was not of his efforts. It wasn't some slick sermon that he was doing. It was ultimately that God prepared the heart of Lydia to hear what was going on. And she received. Now, Lydia is an interesting character. Lydia is actually a woman that is a business owner. She's a leader of a household. Now, it's thought that maybe she was either a widow or divorced. But ultimately, she was a seeker. She was a a very important person. See, because Philippi was a major Roman city, and it was very Jewish, the color purple was very desirable. That was like the royal color. The Philippians were very proud of their Romanship. Okay? So she was in a very lucrative business. All right? This is like kind of tra- like those people who sell cheese heads in Wisconsin or like Wisconsin gear. Like we buy a lot of that stuff, right? You're going to make a lot of money if you do that. That's kind of like what purple was to Lydia. So this is a person of influence. And ultimately, but she was seeking after God. See, Lydia's life was, it says that she was a worshiper of God. In fact, she found herself in a very good place. She was in the right place. She was in the place of prayer. She was likely praying to Yahweh. So she was a seeker that was seeking after God. And ultimately, God opened her heart to receive. Now, a couple things that we can observe about how she reacted to this. First of all, she reacted by being baptized. She wanted that proclamation to everybody that she was a Christ follower now. Now, this was a very risky thing for her because she had a very lucrative business. You know, this wasn't an area where Christianity had been. In fact, Christianity wouldn't necessarily at that point been one of the sanctioned uh, religions of the Romans which was a very risky thing to do. See, the Romans would let you have your religion as long as it was one of the sanctioned religions. But if it was a fringe religion, like a, like a cult or whatever, they would put those things down because those would cause problems. So this was a great risk to Lydia. She was baptized immediately. Not only her, but her entire household. And then immediately after, what she does is she urges them. She says, if you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. 
she reacted with extreme generosity. See, what Lydia did was, it wasn't Paul's custom at this time to actually take um, anything from the people he was ministering to. He thought that that might be a stumbling block for people because there were preachers that would go around and they would just want to be treated like kings and really they were only preaching for the sake of you know, having the good life. And he didn't want to be perceived for that. So what he often would do is work as a tent maker. So when it says she prevailed upon them, it means that Lydia basically said, no, 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 no. No, 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 you're not going to do, we're going to take complete care of you. Her generosity was overflowing. Her generosity was overflowing because of what God had done into her heart. See, the, the, that seeking mentality, looking after God and, and seeking after him and to the point where you want to find him, uh, is something that, that, that is talked about in, um, in the Bible many different places. In fact, in Isaiah 29, 13, it talks about, if you seek after me with your whole heart, you will find me. And that's what Lydia did. This was something she had been searching for for years and years and years. She had been searching for God. She had been searching for him, and ultimately, she had found him. So she was never going to be the same. She was willing to risk everything to be generous. So this is the first conversion we see in the church of Philippi. See, in fact, what we go on to learn a couple things about Lydia. First of all, this is where the church actually began. Lydia's house is where the church, they actually began meeting the church in Lydia's house. Okay, and one of the other things we also find is, do you remember where it said Lydia was from? Thyatira. If you know anything about Thyatira, Thyatira, we ultimately know, that's actually, actually back in Asia. Remember where Paul was just not able to uh, proclaim the gospel? Ultimately, we know that a church did get planted in Thyatira because Thyatira is one of the churches that's talked about in Revelation. Okay? So ultimately, even though Paul on this first pass through didn't see any gospel fruit come out of that, he goes all the way to a different region to where all these Gentiles are, and who's the first woman that he runs into? A woman from Thyatira who receives Christ. Now, we ultimately don't know if Lydia had anything to do with going back and starting that church in Thyatira, but I, I just think it's pretty interesting that, that Paul was working so hard in a region and wasn't getting anywhere of his own efforts, and God takes him all the way to another country to find the person that ultimately could have helped him uh, get the gospel back to those places. So, so first of all, the, the point I want to make with here is, is really... What church planting is about and how a church is built is through people coming to know Christ. People passing from death to life spiritually and finding God. And sometimes that's through a person who's a seeker. Now we're going to move on. We're going to pick up in uh, verse 16 here. And we're going to hear about another person that, that ultimately becomes a part of the church, or I believe becomes a part of the church in uh, Philippi. As they were going from the place of prayer where they met a, they met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners great gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High, who proclaim the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So what you have here is a, is a, a young lady that's, that's possessed by a demon. Basically, she was a fortune teller. And, and basically, she had these owners that were using her uh, for great profit. And it's an interesting, interesting uh, interaction here because she's possessed by a demon, but what's the message that she's crying out? 
She says these men are the men, they have a message of salvation. These guys serve the Lord Most High. So I don't know, I, I've always kind of wondered, is this, is this the girl you know, struggling against this demonic power and crying out outside of that? Or is this also the recognition of this demon that knows that what Paul is speaking? It's, it's an interesting thing. We ultimately don't know. But <laughs> Paul, it doesn't say it's some amazing spiritual act of faith or something like that. Basically what it says is Paul got annoyed, so he's like, I'm going to cast this demon out. <laughs> that's, that's super spiritual, right? Okay. <laughs> Like he, um, he just said, I, I command you to get out so this girl will stop following us around screaming and yelling because he was annoyed by it. I just think that's interesting. Um, and ultimately, that's what happens. So when you look at this, now, now I'm going to take a little stretch here. So I'm putting a disclaimer. We don't see this in the, in the scriptures, but I'm going to make the assumption based on this. This is a girl who was possessed by a demon and owned by owners that were taking advantage of her. In a moment, this demon goes out of her. It's gone. Her life is completely changed. I'm going to take the, the next step and believe she probably received Christ ultimately. Okay, because ultimately what we find out is the, the, her owners basically discard her, and it makes, actually ends up uh, Paul and Silas in jail because, you know, the, the owners are so angry about this. But who was going to be there? This girl was useless now to her owners. Who was going to take care of her? You know, it's my belief that this girl was probably taken in by the church and taken care of, and ultimately that she received Christ. Now, that isn't in the Bible. Okay, that's my disclaimer. But I believe that that's likely what happened here. So, so you've got Lydia, who was a seeker. She was seeking after God. And then you have this girl in great destitute. She was about as far as you could get from God. Her life was falling, around, falling apart around her. And what happens? God enters into that place and plucks her out of it. Once again, we have the second salvation that we see here in Philippi. We're going to continue on. We're going to jump actually down to verse 25. Ultimately, what happens in the verses before, the owners get angry. They start stirring up problems. Uh, it ends up uh, Paul and Silas in jail. And so here they are in jail. It's interesting that we talked about the imagery today, being in jail, right? So here's Paul and Silas in jail. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the, prison, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prisons were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened. And everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword, uh, I'm sorry, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, then brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the words of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. He took them that same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and his, all of his family, then he brought them into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that had believed in God. So we have another individual here. Once again, he's just, he, he's just going through life, at, really, at this point. So, so we have Lydia, who's seeking after God. We have a girl who's in destitute places. But then you have this guy that's just showing up to work. You know, what, what was he expecting that day? He was the leader of the jail. He was expecting a normal day, right? 
There was nothing significant about this day. There was some guy made a ruckus about getting a demon out, but he's in jail and they've got him guarded. So what's going on? This guy's just going throughout his day. It's a pretty mundane day. But then all of a sudden, these prisoners start doing something very unusual. How many prisoners are singing in jail? Not very often, right? And they've just been beaten. And they're praying and they're singing. It's an unusual thing because all the other prisoners are listening to it. And they had a worship session that, I mean, this was good today, guys. But, but thank you for the worship session. But they rocked the house. I mean, it like shook the foundations. The doors swung open. All the chains fell off. It was an amazing, amazing sight, I'm sure. And so this jailer who just went to work that day wasn't expecting anything. He wasn't looking for God. His life was probably pretty decent. He's the head of the jail. All of a sudden, in a moment, his life falls apart because he believes. Ultimately, if he was going to lose the prisoners, in that time, how they made sure that the, the jailers would keep him is if you lose a prisoner, you're going to die. So that's why he was going to fall on his sword. And all of a sudden, this voice cries out to him, we're still here. His immediate recognition of what's going on there, that there was something significant here. Because why would somebody whose chains have been broken off, the doors have been swung open, why would they not make a break for it? There must have been something that they had that was much more important to them than even their freedom in this jail. Because I'm sure what was happening was Paul and Silas were talking to all these other prisoners and proclaiming the gospel. This guy who just went to work that day, didn't expect anything significant to happen, encountered Jesus through these men. He fell at their feet and asked them how he could be saved. What's his reaction? He immediately believes. He immediately is baptized. And we see immediate generosity. See, this is the guy just several seconds before was so worried about these guys getting out of jail that he was about to kill himself. What does he immediately do after receiving Christ? He takes them out of jail himself. Takes them home. Washes their feet. And just probably just sits there and listens to everything they have to say about this Jesus. And this is just a guy who went to work. You know, the gospel isn't meant for just certain type of individuals. You know, you had Lydia who was seeking after God, praying to the right God in, in a place of worship. She was an important person. You had this girl who was destitute. She was in about the worst place you can be. She was probably thought of as pretty much she was a slave, so she was scum. You know, she obviously had a demon in her. And yet, God plucks her out. And then you have just, just a guy just going out through his every day. And all of a sudden, God shows up in some earthquake <laughs> and shakes his life. Ultimately, God's going to get the message to the people he wants to get to. And it's not because of some clever sermon that, that somebody like myself comes up with, because I'm just a big, dumb football player, so I just it's not that clever usually. All right, But ultimately, God's Holy Spirit comes into these places, and he desires that pe- these people will come to know him. And that's how a church is started. A church is started through a bunch of different people. And ultimately, it's about those people who have received Christ coming together and fellowshipping together. And those qualities that we see in those individuals that receive Christ are are present. There's thankfulness. There's obedience. You know, both the jailer and Lydia immediately got baptized to proclaim what had happened to their life to everybody who knew and saw them. There was immediate... They did not care about the consequences. Everything in their, their, their entire old life really didn't matter. They were willing to risk, risk everything for the church. And ultimately, there was great generosity. And that's how a church starts. See, see for us church planters, one of the most uh, compelling and comforting verses that we hear is, is when Jesus 
he promised that he would build this church upon this rock, which is the proclamation of him being the Messiah and him being the Son of God, that he would build this church on this rock, and not, the gates, not even the gates of hell would prevail against it. So ultimately, what our mission is and what church planting is all about is going, to, going into the places where there's not the gospel being preached. And I will tell you, in the United States today, you might think that the United States is a place where, you know, ultimately is a Christian nation, all those types of things. But actually, among the mission organizations, the United States is like the third largest unreached people group as far as number of people who don't know uh, Jesus. In fact, the numbers are getting worse. Uh, I would tell you that, uh, that in the last censuses, um, basically most affiliations for churches, uh, the, they have gone down where those who proclaim no affiliation to any uh, faith or belief at all has increased. Now, now I would tell you that those numbers are skewed. Really what's happening there is those people who kind of check Christian because it was advantageous to them to check Christian um, back in like, you know, the 80s, 90s. Now in the 2000s, to check Christian, the box Christian is actually cost you something, right? Um, it's not the majority anymore. But there's places here in Wisconsin that, that need churches. There's communities like Edgerton that, that really there's not that local church that's about loving the people. It's about engaging uh, the community for Christ. And it's about ultimately seeing the kingdom grow. And so it's our job, I believe personally, as churches to multiply. See, Damascus Road, just like I didn't get saved simply for myself, Damascus Road doesn't simply exist for Damascus Road. Damascus Road is a part of a body, a greater body. And that's one of the things I know and love about you guys is you guys are very focused on and being a part of the larger body and praying for those other ones and being involved in other things. And, and church planting is a major way to do that. And I would really hope, ultimately, that there would be somebody in this room at some point. Maybe you're, you're similar to I was. And you're just kind of serving in this church, or maybe you're not serving in this church yet. And God's working in your heart. And, and you're kind of wondering, well, why in the world did he save you? What's, what's so special about me? Maybe I've got a, uh, a background where it wasn't so great like that slave girl. Maybe I was a, a seeker of God and finally found him. Or maybe I was just a guy who got plucked out of nowhere. I, I hope that there's somebody in here that ultimately hears my story about how I just served in a church. And ultimately, that's how I grew. It wasn't because I was a great Bible reader. It wasn't because I was amazing at guitar or anything like that. It was because I was just willing to serve in God's church. And he grew me. He grew me in a way that allowed me to get the privilege to be called to become a church planter. Now, maybe that's not church planting for you. But ultimately, I believe our churches need to be sending churches. Sending people into the mission field, sending people to church planting, sending people out into this world in order to uh, proclaim the message of Jesus. Because this Philippi church does never happen if Paul never leaves Antioch. If Paul never goes out for that second missionary journey. So what I would encourage you is to serve in this church. Serve to the best of your abilities in the areas that you are gifted to do. Allow God to work in your life. And, and even if you feel like Renee did, that you feel completely inadequate and scared that Shannon's going to track you down after teaching Sunday school and, and rebuke you, trust that if he's calling you to do that, he's going to equip you to do that. And the leadership of this church is going to come alongside you and help you grow. And ultimately, he'll t they'll take you to a different place uh, with Christ through serving. And ultimately, that might mean ultimately leaving here and being sent out into the world. And what a privilege that would be. And that's my prayer for you guys. 
is that you guys would take that seriously, take that call seriously to, to serve here in this local church, love this local church, grow through that service, and be willing to be sent out. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that Luke was able to record these happenings. That we can look back and see how your church started. That we can see the stories of Lydia, the slave girl, and the jailer. See how from different walks of life, you take us out. You meet us exactly where we're at, but fortunately, God, you don't leave us there. You work in our hearts. You bring us from death to life. And then you put us on mission. You put us on mission to spread your gospel. Help us to be obedient to that, Lord. Help us to be sensitive to your spirit. Lord, the one thing I love about this story is that even though in the beginning there wasn't fruit because it was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to be speaking there, Paul was still moving. Paul was still out there active. He was still out there attempting. And you're patient with us even when we're not exactly where you asked us to be and you lead us to exactly where we're supposed to go. And it's through your spirit that people's hearts are opened up and our, their eyes are opened up and their ears are opened up to hear your word. So that's what we just proclaimed today, that, that you would do that in our hearts, that you would move us to send us to where we need to go, that we would continue to move, whether that's serving here in this church, uh, joining a mission organization, church planting, coming alongside another missionary, uh, using our resources to be generous, whether it's our time or skills or our finances. Help us to move in those ways. Help us to move forward, ultimately to seek after what you've called us to do. We just thank you, Lord. I thank you for Damascus Road here, Lord. Uh, I love having a church that prays for us, um, that is so close that we can be in fellowship with, that we can be reminded that it's more than about the people in our four walls, but that there's a greater mission, there's a greater movement happening. So we just thank you for that, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Luke. We're going to move into a time of communion.